The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, are you ready for part two with Lance Storm on today's talk is Jericho. Here come the stories about our first trip to Japan. Our time as the thrill seekers in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. What a gimmick that was. Wait to hear the original wardrobe design for that gimmick. Uh, one clue, LeMay. Or is it, yeah, LeMay. Is it LeMay? I think it was called LeMay. Yeah, like gold LeMay. Uh, how we ended up with the look that we did have, kind of a white and red type thing. We'll hear about the night I broke my arm before the big night in Knoxville, what Cornette's reaction was, what Lance's reaction was. His wife drove me to the hospital that day. I forgot about that. Lots more amazing stories that I don't even remember that I haven't heard before with my first and oldest friend in the wrestling business, my former tag team partner, Lance T. Storm, and the T stands for Thunder. But first, I want to talk about another great friend in the biz, Diamond Dallas Page. His DDP yoga program has me on top of my game. It's kept me on top of the game in the ring for the last couple months on the latest WWE Winter Tour, which wraps this weekend. I can't believe it's almost over. DDP yoga is also keeping me stage ready for the upcoming Fozzy European tour which starts on wednesday super stoked about that ddp has done so much for me and it can do so much for you too if you give it a chance hey it doesn't matter how old you are what kind of shape you're in this program is designed to work for anyone from beginner to intermediate to professional athlete level and you do it at your own pace as fast or as slow as you want to go and if you see the real power of ddp you want to see a perfect example of it you need to see the movie the resurrection of jake the snake you guys know that ddp helped save Jake the Snake's life. We talked about that right here on Talk is Jericho a few months ago when both Paige and Jake were here on the show. They filmed the whole uh, lineage of what happened to Jake, how he started out as a complete wreck, how Paige rescued him, taught him how to do DDP yoga, helped him kick all of his bad habits, and they made an amazing documentary all about it. There's a screening of it happening Sunday, March 8th in Los Angeles at the Arclight Theater on Sunset Boulevard. If you live in L.A., you need to go check out this movie. It starts at 8 p.m. There's only a few tickets left, and that's not a gimmick. They've already moved it from the smaller theater to the big one because the smaller theater sold out. you got to see what DDP did and what DDP Yoga did for Jake the Snake. Now imagine what it can do for you. Listen, this is your perfect chance to give it a try. The Max Pack is the way to go. You get everything you need to get in shape and live a healthier lifestyle. You get all the workouts on DVD. You get a grid chart to track your progress. You get a poster to help you remember the 12 core 
physicians at DDP Yoga. You get recipes, you can get in a healthy eating plan. DDP has everything covered. And you can get all the workouts on MP3s so you can exercise on the go. That's what I do. I do it in hotel rooms. When I'm on the road, I do it in the back of the Fozzie tour bus. I do it in the dressing room at WWE Live Events. That's the beauty of DDP Yoga. You can do it anywhere that you are. So go to ddpyoga.com, all right? You go to slash Jericho. You take advantage of a special offer only available to you, the Sexy Beast listeners of Talk is Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. You need to check this out. You can find the great deal by going to podcast1.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner on top of the page. You hit the Talk is Jericho button, and you can get it right then, right there. I want you to get in the best shape of your life, and DDP Yoga can help you get there. ddpyoga.com. It is going to work. I guarantee it. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. I am the pod of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The people's podcast is here. Let's go for a ride. Franken chicken. He's a bad mother clucker. Franken chicken. Bop, bop. Franken chicken. He's a bad mother clucker. Franken chicken. Bop, bop. Franken chicken. He's a bad mother clucker. Franken chicken. Bop, bop. Franken chicken. He's a bad mother clucker. Franken chicken. Bop, bop. Beware the evil of the Franken chicken. Once again, produced by my friend Ed Aborn. After a song I wrote, he goes, What does that even mean? It's from the Corey Taylor uh, episode of Talk is Jericho. You should probably go check it out uh, if you want some good uh, stories. If you want some more good stories, Lance Storm is here for part two. We talked uh, another hour. Uh, at his Storm Wrestling Academy. Part one was on, was a few days ago. This is part two. We're going to pick things up with our first trip to Japan when we wrestled for FMW, how we got into a fight in the locker room. We'll talk about how we went our separate ways after that trip. I think we'd had enough of each other. you hear all about our time together in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, the big reunion as the thrill-seekers and some of the ridiculous things we did for that gimmick, such thrill-seeking activities as uh, jumping uh, in a Velcro suit onto a Velcro wall. Oh, my gosh, death-defying. You know I'm going to ask Lance about his favorite match. He's very opinionated. Got a lot of great stories. You've heard Lance Storm before on other shows, but you never heard him like this. Lance Storm, Thrill Seeker Reunion coming up. But right now, I'm going to say thanks to the sponsors of Talk is Jericho. They're the ones who let me do this for you for free for twice a week. Thank you, uh, Amazon. And thanks for you guys for doing your online shopping through my Amazon links. Easiest way to support the show. You go to Podcast One, you click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Then you hit Talk is Jericho. Every time you use one of my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to this show right here to help cover production costs i got links all across the world in the usa in the uk in the canada hey you can get whatever you want you get the new fozzy record do you want to start a war featuring the hit single top 20 single lights go out i haven't played in a while i'm in a lights go out mood let's hear it right now
white lights go out from Do You Want to Start a War? You can buy that on Amazon.com through my links. You can get anything you want, anything you need. You know what Amazon's all about. And the truth is, if you use my Amazon links, you can buy whatever you want. It won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or extra charges. So if you happen to be doing some online shopping, you've got to do it through my Amazon links and help out the show in the process. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Bookmark it so you can get those links in one easy click, and you can do that and help me out. It's the Y2J Winter Tour. It's almost over. It's the last weekend. I can't believe it. It went by so fast. I had such a great time uh, doing the live events with all you guys, and I got three dates left, including tonight at Madison Square Garden, the biggest, most famous uh, arena in the world, the most critically acclaimed, most revered, legendary Madison Square Garden, and I will be there. And then tomorrow uh, in Toronto, Buffalo on Sunday, and that's it. The Y2J WB Tour is finished. Um, still got lots going on. I had a lot going on this week, actually. It was pretty uh, crazy uh, how um, I came uh, doing this podcast here in Los Angeles. I just came from, from Orlando, Florida yesterday where I filmed uh, actually a really killer part in Sharknado 3. And it's funny because you think, like, Sharknado, what is this all about? Now, everybody's talking about Sharknado. It's become kind of like this uh, pop culture phenomenon over the last few years. And it's because it's such a wacky concept. I mean, I'm sure it's one of those movies where the name basically explains everything that it is. Uh, it's a Sharknado. It's sharks in a tornado of water that fly through the city, and they basically, I guess they're all uh, really mad about that because they're bloodthirsty, man-eating sharks that uh, eat people and kill them at every fell swoop. So uh, the thing that works about these movies and why it's good is that they play it very straight. The concept is ridiculous, like a sharknado or whatever. It sounds really dumb. But within the concept of the movie, it's real. Like They don't play it as a joke. They don't play it as a, as a, as a gag or as a parody or as a novelty. It's a real thing. Just like you know, in the original Halloween, the fact that you know, uh, Michael Myers is this crazy killer with a mask on. And you're like, okay, could that ever really happen? Could he really escape from the insane asylum and go back to where his sister was killed and blah, blah, blah? In that world, it's real. And it's the same with Sharknado. And that's why they've done another, now three of these movies. And the first two have been huge. I think number two was the highest rated movie in the Sci-Fi Channel's history, which with over four million uh, views, four million viewers for the very first airing, which to put in perspective is more than what Raw gets in these, this day and age. So it's become a, a real kind of a pop culture uh, phenomenon. It's re- revitalized the career of Ian Ziering. It's not Ian, it's Ian. Of course, we all know Ian from Beverly Hills 90210. And he, we also had the same partner in Dancing with the Stars, Cheryl Burke, which is funny. So I met up with him, we talked for a bit. And he was telling me that when he first got the offer to do this movie, he did not want to do it. He thought it was going to be a piece of crap. The only reason why he did it was because his family, he needed to make some more money to get insurance for his family through, through the Screen Actors Guild. So he did this project because he was like, okay, I've got no choice. I've got babies to feed and, and to take care of them and get that kind of... Uh, you know, insurance that I need, and they, uh, they made the movie, and it turned out to be this phenomenon. So the thing that they did in number two that really kind of made it even cooler was they had tons of celebrity cameos. If you haven't seen Sharknado 1 or Sharknado 2, you should go check it out on Netflix. You know, Judd Hirsch plays a cat taxi driver. Kelly Osborne's a stewardess. Um, Will Wheaton's in there. Mark McGrath is in there. Judah Rosenblum. Like, tons of people kind of poking in and out. Matt Lauer, Kelly Ripa. 
Um, and so they gave me the call to do the Sharknado 3, and I thought, well, I don't know if I can do it or not. I'm super busy. But it's not just a cameo. Like a cameo is when you come on screen and go, hey, guys, uh, welcome to Universal Studios. And then I'm never seen again. But I play Bruce, the ride attendant, who's like kind of one of the minor heroes in the movie. And uh, he runs the, the roller coaster in Universal. And then when the Sharknado comes, the people get stuck on top of the roller coaster. And Bruce has to go up and rescue them and uh, save the day. And then, of course, because it's Sharknado, things happen to Bruce that aren't, aren't, uh, aren't great. But to film it was, was a lot of fun. I mean, you're in there with, with, with Tara Reid and Ian Ziering. And uh, it was really funny. Like, when I was a kid, I had th- this really big crush on this actress called Kim Richards. She was in all these Disney movies and she was in like Escape from Witch Mountain, Return to Witch Mountain, like those type of films. And then there was, she's in this really kind of cool teen growing up fighting movie. It was called Tough Turf. And she was super hot and I always had a crush on her and lo and behold, I show up and Kim Richards is, is on set as, um, playing one of the parts in Sharknado so I got to do some scenes with her. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get to hang out with my uh, prebubescent uh, teenage boy, preteen crush. So and I didn't know it till I got there the, the day of, and then I crossed paths with Michael Bolton uh, walking out. So I guess he's in it too. So there's all these 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 cameos. I know a few other ones, but I won't spoil any of them. And it's gonna be they they play the movie in the theaters now. So it's become this really kind of cool uh, cult classic, you know, kitschy type of a movie. And uh, once again, very excited about it, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And to film a movie like this, it's really guerrilla filmmaking. I mean, they do these movies in like two weeks or three weeks. They just go in there and bang it out and get it done and move on to the next thing. So you only get like two or three takes, and it's over. You're finished. So you got to get it right. You got to nail it. And the director, he's not like sitting in the video village, which is kind of offset. He's on set telling you, do it louder, do it softer, do it faster, do it slower, move back and forth so you got a lot of like things going on and when you first show up on a set like you're not really in depth with the character you're kind of just getting dropped into the middle of the uh, uh of, of the melee in the middle of the turmoil so the second day i filmed was even better got a little couple good comedy lines in there had some fun with it and uh worked a lot with cgi which is also really interesting because it's not there there's nothing there so you have to basically pretend that it's there and you're, you're miming, but you got to go for it all the way. So, um, you know, all these experiences, I think people, some, some people, like some idiots, like I posted a couple of pictures on Instagram, like, why would you do Sharknado? It's like, because it's fun and people are going to go nuts for it. So um, you will see that. Sharknado 3, Chris Jericho, Bruce, the ride attendant, uh, will be there. So I'm looking forward to that, and I think you guys are going to dig it. And I think there's more uh, Sharknado reports that we can do uh, on this show. Maybe I'll even have Ion uh, on the show to talk about Sharknado and, of course, talk about Steve Sanders, Beverly Hills 90210. I I, I gave a picture. I sent a picture of me and Ion to uh, Speewee, and he's like, who is this? I'm like, you never watched 90210? He goes, no. Like, who didn't watch 90210? What kind of an idiot do you have to be to not watch uh, one of the greatest shows of our generation, right? The Peach Pit, man. Nate. Nate and the Peach Pit. I loved it. I loved the Peach Pit. Who was the hottest girl in 90210? Wasn't a really good crop of hot girls. Maybe, uh, what was her name? Kelly? Yeah, Kelly, the blonde one. I can't remember what her name is in real life, but she was, she was pretty hot. Oh, Jenny Garth. She was pretty hot. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is hockey. Talk is Jericho. So we're here uh, with my oldest friend in the wrestling business, Lance Storm. Let's talk about our, our first tour of Japan, which is another completely ludicrous thing. We went in October of 91, so I was 20 years old and had been in the business, I think, just over a year. It was almost to the day one year yeah. of our first match. And so you were probably 21 or 22. So well, Yeah, it would have been 22. You know, and we went over to for FMW. There was a connection of a guy in... Calgary, who we had been promised, that was back to everyone's promising. Okay, you're gonna be going to Germany next month. Get your passport. You're going to Germany. We must have been told we were going to Germany. I don't know, eight times at least. And I remember waiting by the door for a FedEx. <laughs> my, my my FedEx is coming, and just sitting there like a like a puppy, just waiting. Where's the FedEx? It's coming tomorrow. It's coming tomorrow, and then realizing that we're not going to Germany. What happened? So Japan was one that we had you know a few times we'd been told about, and then finally we got a chance to go. Yeah, and I remember I, I wanted to kill you. Um, I was living with a guy, Steve Gillespie, <laughs> and he was going to take us to the airport. You were still living out of town. Uh, in yeah, Bermuda. I was living at the farm in Okotoks. Yeah, so you were going to drive in, leave your car at Steve's. He was going to take us to the airport. And I am chronically early, <laughs> and you're habitually late. <laughs> and so I'm sitting, you know, if we're leaving at noon, so I'm at the door with my crap on at 11. Where the hell's Jericho? Where the hell's Jericho? Where the and you show up at like ten after twelve or something, and I wanted to murder you. I remember too because it was like I was wearing like a jean jacket and ripped jeans and like you know bracelets or whatever, and you were wearing a tie, shirt and tie, jacket and a tie, suit, suit, uh, dress shirt and a tie. Yeah, I didn't have a jacket, but I had and a I'm still and tie. wondering why did you wear that tie? I think it was just a. It felt like this was an important big deal. So like, yeah. we're going to work for a company in Japan. It's like you got to look professional. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I put on a shirt and a tie. <laughs> <laughs> for a 14-hour trip. For yeah. a 14-hour trip to, uh, to get picked up by the referee and taken to a hotel. And when we didn't have any work visas. Oh, scared to death. We, it was, uh, we were told that you were staying. It was telling me you were staying at Ricky Fuji's house. Here's his address. I remember it was in Chiba, uh, which is just outside of Tokyo. So we're going through customs. And once, once again, 19 years old, 20 years old, 20 or 21? 21. 21 years old. I mean, dude, international trip. On a plane for 12. I remember just sitting on that plane like... Bored, so bored. Like, what do I do? Yeah, we didn't have iPads back then. No, iPads, and they might have shown one movie. I think I'd only been to the States once in my life. I think I went to Florida with my grandparents once. I'd never left the country. Yeah, so we we had nothing, you know? And And I'm the kind of guy that doesn't speed because I I just, I obey rules. I don't break rules. So it's like going through customs in a foreign country without a visa. I was scared to death. Yeah, yeah. And knowing, I think someone had told me, or, or maybe I just know it now, but, you know, I've seen people show up there. They don't have the proper documentation, and they send them right back. Yeah. You're on the next flight out. You and don't have it? If it's eight later. hours, you sit in the airport right. detention room for eight hours. That's exactly right. So we finally got through. We're picked up by the, by the referee. And that's another thing, too. No idea who's picking us up. No, no. idea what's going on. And, you know, no money. Nope. Here you go, guys. And end up, you know, getting picked up for a three-week tour of, of Japan. And do you remember when we were at the hotel and they gave us our, our cash advance? Yes. And it was, I don't know, it was like. A thousand yen, I think, which would yeah. have been like a hundred bucks. It was probably ten thousand yen, I'd say, which is which is a okay, yeah, unusual lump of money, which was still, I think, maybe a hundred bucks. Yeah, and I remember you had it like 
fanned out on your your, yeah. your bed in your hotel room and you want to take a picture. It's like, we're rich. This is un- unbelievable. Yeah. They got the free robe from the room, fanned out the money, took a picture on the click camera. Uh, but what a culture shock, man, to go there the first time. It was like being in, in Blade Runner. Yeah, and there was a there was a big rigmarole with the guy who got his book, the Fred Jung guy. We didn't trust. He was extremely dishonest. Yeah. We were told a million things that didn't happen, then mm-hmm. they did. So when we actually got on the plane, I was like, oh, my God, this is actually, actually happening. happening. Yeah. Remember the very first show, you know, we get into the locker rooms. Locker rooms are completely separate. The Japanese are somewhere else. We're just there with the foreigners. It's Mike Awesome, Mark Starr, Horace Boulder. Um, I think Ultraman, Ultraman and, Pandita. and Pandita. He was two, a, two Mexican dudes. Dressed, Pandita was, was dressed, a wrestler dressed as a panda. Big panda suit. Yeah. And then us. And there's just a sheet of paper on the wall with the lineup. So I'm, I guess I was looking for a tag team match. Yeah, because the, the name we went under there was called Sudden Impact, which was a cool name. That was Fred's name. Yep. Sudden Impact. And so I'm looking on the wall, and it's like, I look for a tag team match. And maybe there was one. I don't remember, but I didn't see one with us. And I'm like... In the back of my head, I'm like, Fred screwed us. We're not actually booked. And I'm sitting there going, it's like, we're not booked. It's like, we've already been picked up by the company, put in a hotel and given money. And somehow I thought we weren't here. But you told me that. You said, we're not on the show tonight. I was like, what? You said, we're not on the show tonight. I, now, the way I remember it is, I wonder if you're like, did you see the, the lineup? And you're like, yeah, I can't believe it. So I thought you thought the same thing I did. It's like, you can't believe it. I know what, what's going on. We're not on the show. And you're like, what do you mean? And we were actually in the main event, which I think you had seen and went, you couldn't believe it. Yeah. We were in the main event in a six-man with Mark Starr against yeah. Atsushi Onita, who was like the boss of the company. Yeah, the big star. Uh, Sambo Osaka, who was a former sumo guy, and some guy named Weta, who was a kickboxer that wore boxing gloves. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're in the main event? And I went back and looked, and was, there was the huge relief of we're actually booked. Yeah. Now, what a great rib. Fred flies us to Japan, has somebody <laughs> give us cash and take us to a wrestling show, but we're not booked. <laughs> well, the best thing of all was, and the reason why you didn't see us booked, is because on the list it said Onita, Sambo, Weta versus Mark Starr, Runtz, and Kleiss. <laughs> Runtz. Runtz. Yeah, Kleiss and Runtz. Runtz is Lance. Yeah. Kleiss is Chris. So Kleiss and Runtz. Which ended up being a great uh, gimmick of mine for a few years that I'd worked so many shows where my name was misspelled or mispronounced. (laughs) I know you did an interview for a Mexican magazine once, and I think I was Lance and Storm. Tony Candelo had screwed up and actually did a poster called me Land Storm. (laughs) The first authentic stampede show I did at the Pavilion, I was on it, you weren't. But I think they knew who we were because they somehow mismatched the names, and I was Lance Chiraku. <laughs> I have no idea what that was. But I remember that Lance Chiraku. Yeah. But uh, Clayson Runtz. Clayson Runtz. And, and then let's talk about the match. We go out there in front. Uh, FMW is Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, which at the time, keep in mind, this is 91. It was basically ECW before there was an ECW. It was ECW crossed with the first UFC because it was. Right, martial art, frontier martial arts wrestling. Styles of martial arts against each other because the kickboxer out there with boxing gloves. A yeah. sumo guy out there that does sumo. Yeah, and the sambo guy. And then, you know, Onita's gimmick was uh, lots of blading. There was a lot, of, a lot of blood. Got into the barbed wire and started moving. So you take us out there, two, you know, high flyers. And I remember the big thing, I remember the Ito, the referee, was, they just had a big preview of us because they came to Calgary to shoot pictures of us working out and getting ready. And they said we were going to be like Canada's Steiner brothers. Yeah, which is that bar high, right? Yeah, but like, like not exactly the best example of who we were. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Canada's rockers, maybe, or whatever. Which is funny, too, because I, I got you into wearing, like, the tights with the tassels, tassels and stuff. And, stuff, and yeah. you had, like, you know, the, the black crew cut and, like, the blonde the blonde rat tail was awesome. Remember that? Yes. Although I still contend it was a ponytail, not a rat tail. Rat tails were thinner. <laughs> but I stole that haircut from Sting. 
Oh, okay. Because Sting had a blonde flat top, and for about six months, probably until he got smart, he had a black ponytail. Uh-huh. And I think it was supposed to be the scorpion tail on his hair, which gotcha. was his idea. But I saw that and thought, that's a little unique. So I grew out the blonde ponytail, A, because to have some long hair for heels to pull, oh. and just to try to have some degree of flamboyance. <laughs> but you, I mean, the tights, we had the t- tassels and multicolored. We had those Sergeant Pepper jackets with the, the, all the, the, the multicolored uh, fringe on it and everything like that. Yeah. You know? And the, the thing I remember, too, so we're wrestling three Japanese guys we've never met, never seen. Right, first night. And we haven't talked to them before the match. There was no, no discussion. Completely separate. And I, I, the ref comes over, and it's like, Onita up on Mark Starr with his powerbomb. And both you and I were told that we need to yeah, you, get yeah, color you get or juice. you're going to be bleeding in this match. Yeah, get that's juice. all we were told. It was, it was called, it was actual get juice. Was that what he said? Yeah, Onita over Mark Starr, uh, Kleisen runs, get juice. And that's it. Yeah. Go have a main event. Yeah. And another great, I don't know if you were in on this as a rib or what, but I remember we're going to the ring. And it's like, it was for us, it was huge. It was yes. probably, I don't know, maybe there was 2,000 people. I have no idea, yeah. but it felt like, you know, Madison Square Garden at the time. And I'm thinking, well, Mark Starr has been here a few times. He'll start, you know, get things off. So all six of us are in the ring. We all get introduced. And I turn around, and you two buggers are on the apron. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, crap, I'm starting this thing. <laughs> and it's like, in my mind, you're both out there with, you know, the, the grin on your face with a ha-ha, we ribbed you. And I'm like, you son of a... Well, for me, I was nervous back then. I, I, I was always kind of a little scared to start. And I used to like like it when you started. So I probably got out because I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. He can start. He's better than me anyways. But uh, I, I remember the match was just a real cluster because Wada was like, he, would, he was punching and kicking for real. It yep. was not working. He was kicking the shit out of me. Uh, until I remember, I just saw it all break down because there was no rules in FMW. And I remember at one point, I was like, you know, F this guy. He's beating the crap out of me. I went outside and got a chair and came in and I hit him as hard as I could over the head with the chair to like kind of send the message like, like, you know, don't stop it. Stop beating me yeah. up, you know? Yeah. But I remember when I started because you guys are like, oh, crap, I'm starting. I'm like, oh, well, these are the main event guys. They'll, you know, initiate. I'll just react to them. And I was, I was in with Sambo, a big 400-pound sumo guy. Yeah. And it's like, ow. That was how he sold. Yeah. Ouch. Ow. Ouch. And I tied up with him and he just stood there. And did nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'll push him, you know, and he'll stand strong and put over the how big he is. I started pushing him. He just started backing up and moving. I'm like, what's this guy doing? Yeah. And I had 30 matches. Yeah. In the business one year, I had only 30 matches. I remember I had 39 at the time. And it was like, oh, my God. And then I remember the other rib, the Americans, Mark and, and Mike and Boulder had told me, it's like, that Sambo guy goes up really, really light. So if you want to really get yourself over, he, <laughs> he takes a good body slam. So after he's not doing anything and I'm just hitting him, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I figure, well, I'll body slam him. Well, he went up like he was 6,000 pounds. It was the worst body slam ever. As soon as I dumped him, I looked up. because You could see the window where our locker room was up in the back, and I could see Mike and Boulder laughing their ass off that I had bought into the rib. Well, I mean, we were in the assumption because we're going to Japan, you know, that these guys were going to – it's similar when we showed up at the, at the hard camp. Like, we thought – they were not very good. No, they There was a couple guys that were all right, but – that company, as we knew going on years later, was famous for having just bad workers that would just you know cut their heads off to get yeah. a reaction. And I, I also remember because we were both asked to get juice. I did and you didn't. Mm. I think you had dropped I'd your... I lost my blade. Yeah. And I had gotten... And they ran me in. And we didn't even know how or what. It's just if someone runs you into something hard... Not even. It's just yeah. like, get, you get juice. And There's I got ran spot. into a table, so I got juice. And we got back and you didn't. Uh-huh. And you were asked to get it again two or three times that tour, uh-huh. and I never was again. Uh-huh. 
and it was always on the outdoor shows because <laughs> we our, our our bus became our locker room. That's right. And you're out wrestling and you know, you're almost always brawling a little bit. So you've got dirt from the this ground. Is a parking outside. lot. They yeah. set up a ring in a parking lot. And you're you know, so you're all covered in sweat and blood and you're just a mess and you get back in the bus and you're like you just sit there and wait till we got to the hotel. Yeah. So it's like we've been going into these really nice hotels and Chris is still in his tights, blood all over his face, <laughs> going up, like, can I have my key please? The yeah. guy behind the desk is like oh. people looking at it like you're insane. Like what is this guy? But I mean it was a pretty cool tour and I think like once again not bragging, but we were trained properly and we had each other to build off of. We were probably, if not the best workers on the tour, in the top 10% of the workers on that tour. Oh, sure. I would say Mark was a really good worker. Yes, at that he point was good too. But then we were doing stuff like, you know, the, the reverse victory rolls and the dives and stuff. And I remember Mark going, man, I got to get back into doing that stuff too. And then Izaki, who later became Hayabusa, was another guy that I, he was a young boy that was starting to do more stuff because I think he was influenced I by I think us he as did well. his first backflip the tour after we left yeah. because he saw us doing it. Right. And I remember I was it I don't remember if it was him. It might have been him actually that at one point pulled me aside like, "Oh, you guys very good. You know, how long have you been wrestling?" Yeah. <laughs> and me being me, I'm like, "One year. I've had 30 matches." He's like, "No, no, no, no. Serious. No joke." <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, they do several years as a young boy before they can do anything. That's right. That's right. I think we were also benefited by the heart rep. That was another thing. Calgary kids. Calgary kids, they came through the hearts. They're going to know how to handle themselves on the mat, so we didn't get messed with. Mm -hmm. And we were also pretty decent on the mat, so if they took us down, we could hold our own enough. Yeah, and also, too, like I said, I think that first night when I slammed that guy with the chair, they kind of realized that we can't you know, take liberties. Because that's how it was in Japan. They would take liberties until you fought back. Yeah. And then they'd leave you alone. But that's actually, when I said Calgary Kids, that was actually the name that they called guys from Calgary in Japanese magazines. Calgary Kids. It was you, me, Benoit, Brett, Owen, you know, all the guys, Davey, Dynamite, all the guys that came through the system that way. So we did have a little bit of a, of a, of a rep. Yeah, we ben that. benefited from the, it was even just, they just gave us the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, these guys probably know what they're doing. Why do you think that we never went back? Because I remember we were told, like, you guys are going to be brought back, like, four to six tours a year. Uh, yeah, because Onita himself, I think, actually came into the locker with, yes. oh, very good. Um, you know, you come back next year, January, and for four to six times. I'm curious if it's because you spoke up over our pay. Oh. Because, again, the dodginess with Fred, we were told $800 a week for the tour. And we were both pulled in together, thankfully, by Tarzan Goto into the hotel room to get our pay, and they gave us 600 a week. And I remember looking at you, and you looked at me, and I don't remember. He's like, should we say something? Mm -hmm. And it's like... I was afraid to say something, but I wanted to. And then you spoke up, and I, I remember you being respectful, but it was like, you know, we were told $800, and he was like, yeah, I thought 600 was very small for how good you were. I'll look into it. Um, if it was supposed to be eight, we'll send you our money, mm -hmm. the money. And it never came. Um, I always just assume Fred screwed it up. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Because I know Fred wanted us to sign some exclusive, he's our manager contract with him when we came back, and we yeah. didn't. Yeah. So I don't know whether Fred told them that, hey, they don't want to come. But when we didn't go back in January, and then we didn't get another call at that point. I'm like, ah, screw them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and then we, you know, we kind of we worked a little bit longer, and then I remember uh, we kind of you you broke up with me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I dumped you basically, right? Because we basically, were working. Yeah. What, what, what were you what were you thinking? What was the thought process? Because I was like really like like almost the same thing. Like I got dumped, and I was like, you, know, you can't. Why? You can't and do and this. for those listening. I've never told them this conversation we're about to have. Oh, cool. Um, part of it was, um, and it was Steve in my ear and a few others in my ear with, you know, he's stiff, he's this, he's this. <laughs> he's no you good. could probably do better without him. And part of it, too, was it's like I was starting to realize that, you know, it's harder to get booked as two. Right. 
and I've got these other guys going, yeah, oh, he's stiff. He's, you know, and I think because you spoke your mind more, because mm-hmm. they really didn't know what the hell they were talking about. In hindsight, me listening to them was just idiotic. Yeah, Although I mean, in hindsight, it probably was the best decision. Your career has been okay. <laughs> but, but also, too, I mean, at the time, I knew very quickly, as did you, and, and this is not arrogance, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, that we were the best guys in the city. And all these guys, that just because they had more experience, did not mean they were better and did not mean they were uh, had bigger careers. Because I would look at these guys, like Steve Gillespie was telling us what to do, and I, I watched him in Stampede Wrestling. He was a job guy. and he, he was, So I'm not going to take advice from him. Because I know I'm better, I know you're better, and I know he hasn't gone anywhere. Now, of course, within the Calgary scene where there's hierarchy, suddenly I become the jerk off. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, and and they were in my ear mm-hmm. with uh, he's not respectful enough, wow. he doesn't know his place, he's doing all this, and we're also at that point where we're not getting a whole lot of new bookings and breaks, mm-hmm. and it's like I was living with Gillespie at the time, so he's in my ear all the time. Wow, and yeah, they sold me on it, I guess, more than anything. Yeah. And I remember having the, it was at Steve's place, I believe, that we sort of had the conversation. I was just, you know, we can probably get booked better. And you're like, what are you, you know, you're crazy. It's like, <laughs> and it wasn't long after that. And again, to, to really make me sit there going, man, I'm, I'm such an idiot. It's like, I, it wasn't long after we broke up that, boom, you're in Mexico. That's true. Uh, That's the, true. Uh, Lazansky got you in Mexico. That's true, yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm working the local shows. He's in Mexico. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, but there was one other thing before that, too, is that it, we finally did get a call to go back for FMW, which was in September of 92, which was almost a year later. Yep. For It was a one-off at Yokohama Stadium. And I remember getting the call, and then I had to call you. And it's like, dude, you know, we've we got to get the band back together. You know, <laughs> Sun Impact's back, baby. This is it. This is our chance. And you were like, no. And I was saying, like, what do you mean? Like, this is it, dude. Like, this is the big time. <laughs> this is our break. And, and the saying no had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with there's no goddamn way I'm dealing with Fred again. Oh, yeah, yeah. And part of it, too, is I felt really disrespected by Atsushi Onita. Mm-hmm. And again, it might have been all Fred. You know what I mean? But it's like he specifically told me, right. we like you. You're coming back in January. You got four trips next year. And it's like I banked on that. Mm-hmm. And then 10 months later, he calls. So there was the I didn't want to go back for him. And then also, too, we, had, we just went through the breakup. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, do I want to just get back together to go over there and then have to deal with where do we go again after that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, I want to stand my ground. It's like, I don't, I want to say no to Fred. Mm-hmm. And I want to say no to Anita. And I just, no. Yeah. And in hindsight, too, it's like two years in the business, it was like 40,000 people in a baseball stadium. Yeah. Well, the thing about it, too, is, and this is one thing that, that, that you've done it and I've done it, we always, Stood our ground, like you said, like didn't take, take it. You know, you're a perfect example. We just talked about a couple, a couple of reasons on how we were able to do that, and that's why, why we made it in the business because you have to stand your ground sometimes. And you know, I, I always respect you. you. Said no, I'm not doing it. So then I'm in a position where you know I'm not exactly burning up the the charts either with anything. This is before I even went to Mexico. So it's like I said, I gotta find, I gotta find somebody else. And you're like, go for it. So I was like, you know, I kind of have an auditions in my head of who I wanted to have. And it was uh, Eric Fries was his name, a kid at Edmonton, a good looking guy. And not good, but solid, I guess you could say. He could do a couple of flashy things, looked all right. And that's the guy that I chose to kind of be the replacement. He was like, you know, the Sammy Hagar. when and David, I think you David had to come Lee and Ron- ask if you could uh, borrow my jacket and I a pair did. of tights for him. I did have to come and be a hat in hand, you know. Yeah. I got Sammy Hagar in the band now, so can I borrow your old clothes, David Lee Roth? <laughs> and you had actually sold your jacket to the white dog who was a referee. Oh, my God, did I? Remember that? So I had to then go try and get it from him, and that guy wouldn't give it to me. <laughs> He's like, well, I, how am I knowing you're not going to steal it? I'm like, dude, you, you know where I live. Like, 
He's like, well, you're going to steal. I had to give him a deposit of like 100 bucks or whatever. Wow. I was like, listen, I designed this thing. I got it made. You're going to give it to me. You're going to let me use this. And then went to Yokohama Stadium, opened the show up. Eric did a, a decent job. They called him Kevin Fall because his real name was Kevin Hool. Ah. And they didn't like Eric Freeze, so Hool became Fall, Kevin Fall. And Tarzan Goto didn't know it wasn't me. Didn't know it wasn't you. And thought so, I lost weight. And this. <laughs> God about that. And there's still some people this day that used to come up and ask you to sign like a videotape, and you're like, yeah. this isn't me. I'm not signing this. No. And, and the highlight, too, is because I've seen the match back. Um, you t- you worked against um, Izaki. Izaki he hadn't been Hayabusa yet, but he was using a moonsault as a finish. Yes, and he was to hit you with the moonsault, and Freeze was to make the save to protect his finish. Yeah, and he was watching himself on the big screen, on the big screen. Yeah, and missed the save, and you had to kick out of Izaki's finish. He came in last second, but yeah, I had to kick out, and that was the only direction. Once again, Kleiss, uh, uh, you up over whoever the other guy was, and please make the save on Izaki's moonsault. That was the only two directions we got. And he was watching himself. Yeah, on he was TV. watching himself on TV. But then once again, came over, and I was thinking, okay, the people are going to be nuts, and they'll be waiting for us, and no one cared. Like they you know wasn't like they were lining the streets going, sudden impact's back, which is what I was expecting. And it was just kind of a, a non-factor. Although the funny thing is, when we ended up working against each other in war in the end of 95, yes. 96, it's like the crowd seemed to care. No, no, but it was different then. We were, we were, we were stars at well, that point. You were. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd been in Europe and made some Japanese magazines for that, mm-hmm. but it's like it was my first trip back to Japan since 91. Mm-hmm. And when we did the the, um, the last night of the tournament where we fought each other, it's like the crowd seemed to care and get into the history. They, they, they did. And I'm just saying for whatever reason, maybe they knew it wasn't you or maybe it was just the situation that night opening match, you know, hardly anybody in there. But once again, that was a one one time thing. And then they didn't call me back for another 18 months. And at that point, I'd already, I already actually had to choose between war and FMW, much like you. I was like, F you, FMW, <laughs> FMW was off. the right call. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we, we talked about going to uh, Japan, but. You went your separate ways. You went to Europe. I went to Mexico. Both kind of made names for ourselves in those respective countries. But then you called me, or maybe the, not. How did the Smoky Mountain? Mountain thing happen? I remember. You were telling me you were going. or I sent tapes to Cornette. Um, he saw him, called me back, and wanted to bring me in as a baby face. And I had called you. Hey, I got booked in you know, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I'm talking to Jim Cornette about going in. And I remember you saying, oh, that's really cool. I should probably send them stuff, you know, another year or so when I'm done working in Mexico. I want to get some footage in the, uh, some work in the States. So I think you sent him some stuff just on the, well, you know, maybe in another year or something. Yeah, I'll go there too. In, yeah. And Cornette saw your stuff. And obviously any highlight reel of mine in 1994 has got a bunch of crop of you right, on it. Yeah. And probably tag stuff with us too. And Jim saw it. Smoky Mountain was a tag team based company. And the way I remembered, he talked to you and said, hey, would you be willing to come in with Lance and re-team? And I remember you calling me going, right. hey, I don't want to step on your booking and screw things up. Cornette wants to bring us as a team. What do you think? Yes, Cause you, I you, were, that. you told me you'd say no if I didn't want to do the tank thing and you wouldn't screw up my booking which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, because I was in Mexico at the time, and, and I was making good money. I was like not – once again, I was a star there, like mm-hmm. front cover of the magazines and, and had some steam. But it was time to, to move. I remember Conan saying, why did you leave? Because I went to Germany, and it's because, hey, man, you know, Mexico's great, but it's not where I wanted to make my living. I wanted to go – so I remember calling you from the hotel room in Mexico and saying – I do remember saying, listen, dude, just telling you what he said, up to you. If not, I'll, I'll find another way. Yeah, and – 
I knew that Cornette was a tag team guy. Did you? Yeah. It was a tag team territory. It was all Heavenly Bodies, Rock and Roll Express. He had been in the Midnight Express. I'm like, we going as a team. We're probably going to get a much bigger push. Mm. Um, and at that point in time, I think I'd smartened up enough to realize um, how I've seen any of the stuff the other guys have been talking to me about. And it's like, and also too, it's, you know, I think I needed... The yeah, we- spread- I, I needed the weekends off that I got from Ed. You know what I mean? You but spend- you spread your wings, too, and you went yeah. and made a name for yourself in Europe and, and, and yeah. that sort of thing. And I think, too, you know, at the two-year mark where it's like, you know, we've been everywhere together. It's like, I need a break from this yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like, I'm like, yeah, it would probably be really cool to go in. So you, you said, okay, I'll talk to Jim. And I think you said, you know, I still want to be able to do some Mexico and Japan, mm-hmm. um, but we'll come in as a tag team. And we went and met with Jim for that big Sunday, bloody Sunday show with uh, – uh, yeah, he he fl- he flew us in to because uh, I was still living in Calgary when I wasn't on the road. I just started with FMW, and he flew us in from Calgary to Knoxville. Picked us up at the airport. I remember Zubaz and a, and a tight shirt. Cause I remember thinking, oh, "Man, he's really hefty. Like he's he was pretty fat at the time." And I couldn't like, "Wow, that's Jim Cornette." Because I just remember him being super skinny. Yeah, and he showed up fat with the big glasses and the same hair he's got today. And he took us out to – he wined and dined us, took it to his nice restaurant. Had an awesome blossom deep-fried <laughs> onion. <laughs> Never seen anything like that yeah. before. And he was smart because he brought us in for when it was their big show. So it's like Knoxville. Night of the Legends, Knoxville Coliseum. No. It was or, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Sunday Bloody we Sunday. did the – Yeah, right. Knoxville Coliseum, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Probably almost 5,000 people sold out. Yeah, and a, and a big show. So we're going, man, we got to be a part of this. This is the biggest place ever. Yeah. And, um, again, thankfully, uh, it came to, oh, what do you guys want to come in? And it's like, I had just got back from Europe, but I didn't really like being away that long. So I didn't have any really pressing bookings on my plate. So it's like, I really would have had to take And you were already it. married at the time, too. Or uh, about I was to engaged. About, okay, yeah. I was engaged. So it's like, I couldn't afford to turn the bookings down, really. I needed something. Mm-hmm. But you had good gigs, so you stepped up with, well, I'm not willing to come in for less than this amount i think at the time yeah i was i was doing such good business that i think i asked them for like 800 bucks a week or something like that i think the number was 35 a month 3500 bucks and that's think about that. that's insane and of course if i'm making 35 you got to make 35 yeah that was the it's like well if you're paying him that i'm not coming in for less than my partner seven grand a month and this is a territory that's running three to four shows a week i think they did 15 a month 15 a month. Most of them are in front of 200 people, 300 people, yeah. Beckley, West Virginia, those type places. And here comes these guys with no name value in the States whatsoever. Zero. Yeah. Seven grand a month. But Cornette had the thrill seeker gimmick in his back pocket. He always wanted to do it. Yeah. And I remember Jim saying, it's like, well, that's a big number. It's more than I pay everybody else. But I need to talk to Tim Horner, who does my merchandise, because, you know, the merch sales before shows are a big part of uh, U.S. territories then. He says, I'll see if he thinks the numbers are proper. And I think this is the big mistake that ended up spoiling the deal. He's like, well, it, I think he was paying everybody like $100 a night. So it's like, well, it's 1500 a month for the shows. Can we sell $2,000 in mer- merchandise? Right. And I think he went to uh, uh, Tim Horner and said, Can, is it possible to sell $2,000 a month merchandise with these guys? And Tim said, yeah, but it's 2000 each. <laughs> right. You have to sell $4,000 worth of merchandise. Yeah. And... Jim was supposed to be responsible for producing the merchandise, and he was working with WWE at the time, uh, WWF, I guess, at the time, and he never really got a lot of merchandise for us. He had a bunch of 5 by 7 picks to sell. That was it, yeah. Basically, yeah, snapshots, like photos. Yeah, um, that I still have a bunch in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> uh, I say somewhere, but I know the exact filing cabinet folder. <laughs> of course you it, do. Of course you do. Because I'm still absurdly... <laughs> do you remember when you called me for your book? Yeah. 
it was you, you were doing all the photos for your book completely off topic sorry everybody that's all right and he's doing his first book and i get a text or a call from chris with uh you know i'm doing photos for my book and it's like I, you know I, I don't have any from smoky mountain do you have some and i'm like yeah, i got some i can send you some he's like well you know if it takes you too long fine you know don't go to big hassle i just sort of you know looked at my phone with a <laughs> dude you know exactly i know what folder they're in and where they are they're probably numbered and filed <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but that's the, yeah and it's funny too with that 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 two thousand dollar merch i mean if he would have come back and said hey listen i can pay you you know two thousand a month or you know whatever two thousand a month and we'll see what happens i probably would have went for it because you know this was a chance to work in the states which neither one of us and had smoky done. mountain was getting it, a fair bit of buzz did. at the time you know there's something we had a, the wb connection i mean i wasn't stupid i was just throwing that number out as a negotiation tactic he came back and said okay that sounds good there was no negotiation there yeah. was no okay i'll give you two because like I said, that was where I wanted to go, but he did not do that. But I, but I think it was the fact he's like, oh yeah, we can do two grand in merch for for these guys mm-hmm. at tag team, no problem. So it's like, well, great, I'm paying him because yeah. I think that's what it was too. He would pay us a hundred dollars a night, and at the end of it was very much a WWE downside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like you get a hundred bucks a match, and you get to keep all your merch revenue. Right, and if the rich revenue ended up being more than thirty five hundred, we got that. Yes, but if it ended up being short, he had to make up the difference. So it very much was a WWE downside. And the fact he didn't come back with a counter offer, yeah. still to this day, like I think once you said he was so scatterbrained and just had this thrill seekers thing. And what was the original idea for the thrill seekers? Um, I remember <laughs> he sent me in the mail. I can't find it. I know I wanted to save it, but I can't find it. He sent me a a sketch drawing of what our outfits would be. And they were, American Gladiators was big at the time. Yeah. And they were singlets or body suits that were all done up very American Gladiator style. And it would have our first names on the title. It had Chris and Lance. Kleiss and Runtz. Kleiss and Runtz. And he had a little line beside it and he said, in gold lame or similar. (laughs) And it's like, I saw this drawing that he sent me and I showed it to you. And you were so mad because it was, a, you know, it was covering you up. It was yeah, a body, body suit. Body suit. Yeah. And it's like, I haven't worked in the gym this hard to wear a shirt. <laughs> well, but it's like, I'm not wearing a shirt and covering up. There's no way I'm wearing that. <laughs> so I had made a, a design of my own sort of, hey, what about these? It was just long tights like ours, but in red and white for the Canadian mm-hmm. end of it and stuff. And I sent it back to him with, what about this instead? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that'll work. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> well, I remember too, like, obviously, we went to this deep south, which might as well have been Japan for us. Awesome blossoms and jeet yet. What? Jeet yet? <laughs> jeet yet? Did you eat yet? Uh, VCRs, VCR. I remember driving down the highway and seeing this big billboard, and I was like, why is there a big picture of Burt Reynolds on the side of the road? That's not Burt Reynolds, that's Richard Petty, the most famous NASCAR driver ever, like <laughs> the, the Gretzky of that area. So I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. And then also, too, something I was always very reluctant about um, was that he wanted to push us as the, the fabulous ones, like just beefcake, male strippers, hot tub pictures. And I was like, absolutely not, dude. No way. The 80s? Yeah. In 1994. Yep. You know, the beefcake guys that were like, oh, yeah, we're so hot and towels. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And he's like, what do you mean? What are you, why aren't you doing this? I'm not, I'm not doing that, man. Although we did do the workout video at the gym with our shirts off. That's hilarious. So then he brings us in to do a bunch of vignettes. And one of them for the thrill seekers, which is a good idea. But the thrills we were seeking <laughs> were pretty... skating, uh, horseback riding, uh, putting on Velcro suits and jumping against the wall. Velcro wall. Uh, uh, going to the bumper cars. Bumper cars. <laughs> feeding the bears. Feeding the bears, which then I'm in the bear <laughs> thing and you're feeding me. That's the best. Like, what a horrible, like, 
like two goofballs like man you yeah. watch that it back it's like we were supposed to be the baby faces yeah you know it's like bo dallas type stuff 20 years ago yes was, you know, they show the footage of us standing on a wall throwing pieces of apple to a bear and then there's a cut and then i'm throwing pieces of bread off and then they cut back and Chris is at the bottom with his mouth open, trying to catch the bread that I throw to him. And just over, We're so cool. Just scenery chewing ham, just the worst, like overacting ever on my part. Yeah, riding horses. Riding horses, Which yeah. Which you, the whole time we're going to the place to ride horses, you're like, I'm not riding no horse. I don't want to ride this horse. This is just dumb. I think it's yeah. flashbacks to the cowboy gimmick. <laughs> Actually, that's the only time I ever rode a horse, horse and I liked it. Yeah, we couldn't get you to leave. You're yeah. just having so much fun. <laughs> but I remember, uh, so that was kind of the introduction for us. And, you know, to be the ladies' man and all this stuff. And then we, we did another one one time where we were actually out at a bar and I'm drinking. You wake up early with your gym clothes on and I'm passed out with beer bottles everywhere and you have to knock on the door. Yeah, it didn't take long to get from these are the two party thrill seekers to Chris is a wild man and Lance is very responsible. Yeah, it reminds me of the cover of that famous Pro Wrestling Illustrator where Michael Hayes and Carrie Von Eric and Michael Hayes had the Jack Daniels and Carrie had the, the quart of milk. <laughs> and that was us. You know, yeah. so that Ours was real. Yeah. That one probably wasn't. But uh, and, then, and then I remember they, they had had us go at the end of the, the I think that's when we were working out finally and we were working with our shirts off and close-ups of our asses we're doing squats <laughs> and then we finish up a drink and then you know we're going into our uh, finish up our protein drink and then we go to our room and there's two girls waiting for us and these girls were not hot <laughs> you know I'm not gonna say they're ugly but they were ugly and I remember saying to Jimmy dude can I can you can I go to a Hooters for 10 minutes <laughs> give me 10 minutes can I go to can I go to the mall Give me some darts and let me throw them into a crowd. I'll find some hotter girls. Like, like to get girls on TV there, I, I could have snapped my fingers and gotten like strippers, but he wouldn't do it. I think it's because he was probably banging one of the girls or something. <laughs> I, think, and may, I watch, think he may be married to one now. No, I could be wrong. Yeah, maybe no, at some point. But you watch that and you see it, and it's like there's no way this is good. <laughs> Especially because our acting was so terrible, bad. Terrible, terrible, terrible. We're, we're, we're going to open our door and we've got to have that surprised look on our faces. We turn to the right and see these hot women in the eye. And it's the, the fake surprise. Yeah. Oh, and you've got to raise your... Wow, look at those women. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. That's right. We go into the hotel room with them. <laughs> and then put on the do not disturb sign. Yeah. I remember thinking afterwards it was actually genius on Jim's part. Because it was establishing that the thrill seekers will sleep with anybody. <laughs> you too can come to the show in Pikeville, Kentucky and score with the thrill seekers. <laughs> then I found out later on from Bruce Pritchard when I first came to the WWE that Jimmy was really angry at us because we didn't bang the rats. Obviously, you were married uh, and I had taste. <laughs> you had standards. I remember not meeting any really, you know, just girls that I would be attracted to. I didn't meet any that whole time I was there. None. You know, yeah. and, and that was just, uh, they were mad at us. And then, and then the rumor that Jim was spreading that I was gay because of it. Like, yes. I'm not gay, I just have standards. <laughs> standards but yeah, you know? I think the quote I heard was, they weren't servicing the rats. <laughs> but the rest of the roster was, so what difference did it make? Now, uh, you know, talking about the roster there, you, all these things are funny, but, but I, I still look back on Smoky Mountain with great fondness because I learned a lot when I was oh, there. Oh, God, yeah. You know? Because it was, you know, I, got, I, I worked more because I, I stayed longer than you. Yes. You packed up after the broken arm. I stayed for a few months after. But yeah, you know, working with Chris Candido and, and you watching and learning from Tracy Smothers. Dirty White Boy. Dirty White Boy was there. Um, Bob, Heavenly, Arms, Bob Armstrong. Bob Armstrong, amazing. Yeah. Um, do you remember, you remember the time they brought in Dick Murdoch and he worked with yes. Bob? It's like just watching those two work. I was like, oh my God. You know, because we came from, you know, uh, I was 
total Japanese Mexican and you were, you know, I mean, you're always a more a smarter worker, but you're obviously super athletic. I don't know exactly what style you're working in Germany. I'm sure you probably learned more psychology in Germany mm-hmm. than I did. But we came in there and I remember Cornette saying, you know, do your stuff. And we were like throwing guys around and tiger suplexing guys and, yeah. you know, double top rope drop kick and just every single thing we could do. And they used to call us the flying squirrels. Yeah. And I remember too, and I, we had, a lot of different big moves that we had done. One of the ones that was the coolest, we did a double top rope drop kick. We yeah. were both on the same turnbuckle. We do it. A lot of guys tried it from opposite turnbuckles and always mistimed it. We did it off the we same one. We climbed up the same turnbuckle at the same and did time. It. And where timing was great, I think it's because we trained together, so we yeah. learned together. And that was one of our big moves. And I remember the first TV taping we were there. You're like, oh, we're going to do this. I'm like, they're not going to let us do that. You're like, what do you mean? It's like the Rock and Roll Express do a double drop kick as a finish. <laughs> and it was not the world's the most. Big, yeah, they're the big stars. They're the top stars. And it's not a particularly impressive top rope drop. I'm like, they're not going to let us do one off the top rope. And sure as hell, our very first match, Jim, yeah, do that double top rope drop kick that you do. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I remember afterwards in ECW, Tracy Smothers saying, it's like, you would not believe how bad the Rock and Roll Express freaked out when those guys did that. It was like, hey, dude, they're doing your finish off the top. I know. I remember that they said that you guys went from the thrill seekers to the heat seekers <laughs> overnight. <laughs> and, that, and that's because the Rock and Roll Express were, were gods there. Yeah. Like super over. Even, you know, you talk about that, that crazy, strange Kentucky people video that I have to put up on YouTube one of these days. Um, we should talk about that. We, we, we would go to these small towns. And, you know, like you mentioned, Paintsville or Barberville, like, you know, Vernon, Kentucky. I remember the one time, I think it was Vernon, Kentucky, the population was like 400 and there was 500 in the building. People came out of the mountains, like literal yeah. hillbillies came out of the mountains to come watch the wrestling. And uh, people would cut, you'd have to go sell gimmicks, sell your merch. The pictures, your to be pictures. clear, which gimmicks we're speaking yeah. of. <laughs> I hated doing that, though. Yeah, I, I still to this day, I don't like doing Going it. Going out before your match and hawking your wares. It and, kills your star power, but it was the, the necessarily evil. And how good was the Rock and Express at it? Oh, my God. They were gimmick-selling machines. They could sell. If, if a fan stops in a parking lot of a Walmart, they'd open up their trunk and start the store. Yeah, that's right. Um, the other town that was always a weird one was, was Harlan, Kentucky. Oh, man. And that's, I, I love the show Justified, uh-huh. which is set in Harlan, Kentucky. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's just, I'm like, oh, man, this brings back memories. <laughs> well, so we're selling gimmicks. And, and, yeah, like the rock and roll would take like a bed sheet and make like official rock and roll express headbands and write like R&R in it and marker. Rip it. Shh, there's your headband. 20 yeah. bucks. So anyways. We're there, and these, 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 this family comes up to me and gives me a videotape. Here's a videotape of your matches. Oh, cool. Thanks. So we do the match and whatever. During the week, not a lot to do, and I uh, was living in uh, Morristown in a dry county, by the way. 22 years old, nowhere to go to drink anything, having you know, meet girls or whatever. So I put in the, the VH, VHS, and it's got this two seconds of a match, and then it flips, and it's this family. And now Lance has seen the tape as well, but it was like this weird. They gave me a copy too. Oh, they did? Okay. Yeah. This weird mountain hillbilly family. And they lived up kind of like in a shack in the mountains. And there was like cars in the, uh, in the front yard with dogs in them. Like, like the dog house was like a rusted out old car. And they were, uh, they were dancing for us. They were picking their nose. There was a weird kid that was walking in a backwards Bray Wyatt uh, <laughs> spider walk. They were farting. They were dancing. Ooh, the electric slides in the driveway. Electric slide, electric slide. I'm going to have a, a, a son named Lance and a, a dog named Storm or whatever she was saying. And then on the wall... And this is where it came from. There was a uh, picture of Jesus Christ, and then above Jesus was a picture of the Rock and Roll Express. 
Yeah, that, that tells you how, how over the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> yeah. As much as we laugh, if you ever watch a Rock and Roll Express shoot interview, and how many times they tell you how much they were over. Oh, it's great. They actually yeah. were, though. They were really, really over. And you know, for us to go in there and do a dropkick off the top, like, oh, my gosh. like Talk about the heat we were probably getting right off the bat. Seriously, so dis- we were told to, though. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But so yeah. disrespectful. I know, and just so oblivious to it as well. But I really learned uh, how to do promos there. That was where, not that I'm saying that I did good promos there, but I started learning how you do them, you know? Because I always remember from Bulldog Bob Brown back in the Calgary Winnipeg days, my first promo I did, I was like, you know, I was working with Bulldog, and I was like, you're an old man, and you need to retire, and you're an old man, and he's like, hey, come here. He goes, you don't say that. I said, why? Because because um, when we have our match, if I beat you, oh, and by the way, I will be beating you, you just got beaten by an old man. He said, you got to put your opponents over. And that really came to fruition there at Smoky Mountain to see those guys do that. The, 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 the famed, uh, there's only two, two things in this world that never forget. Elephants and thrill seekers. <laughs> the worst promo line ever. I'm just sitting there with a look on my face going, wow. I used to try a bunch of stuff. I remember I heard David Lee Roth say, there's a fine line between a kick in the pants and a pat. No, there's a fine line between a pat in the back and a kick in the pants, so let's dance. And our first promo in with CNWA Ed with Ed Whalen, I said that. It, out of context, no, I just thought it was cool when David Lee Roth said it, which it was, but I was no David Lee Roth, <laughs> trust me. <Not> 1991. <laughs> but um, what did you think of the matches there? Um, I learned a lot there because mm-hmm. um, that was where I learned that you have to play to your audience um, because I, I think you more so than me because you were working with Dragon in Japan and also in Mexico. You were doing even more stuff and working faster than I was. Mm-hmm. And we were working with Well Done uh Steve, Steve Dahl and Rex King, King. Yeah. and they were working Memphis 101, the slowest old Southern wrestling style there was. And it's like, I felt like a traffic cop in there trying to slow you down and speed them up and try to find <laughs> middle ground because I realized no matter how much we wanted to do stuff, it's like we had to tone it down because this crowd had never seen anything like mm-hmm. it before. It didn't get it. Too and didn't much get stuff, it. Yeah. And you realize that it's great to do great stuff and fancy stuff and work fast and do everything else but you do have to make sure that they can keep up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i learned that there and i remember <laughs> it was one match in particular i think you were in with with steve Dahl, and they're getting on you just figured it was time to fire up and you threw a couple kicks jumping spin kick and he took a bump and you tagged me and i go in and grab a headlock tag and i was like what's wrong with your part what the hell is he doing and it's like because you did something he didn't call yeah, yeah yeah and he just had no idea what that was because that's not memphis style just out of the context yeah the southern style which i remember cornet saying you know down here if you come out of the baby face locker room you will get cheered if you come out of the heel locker room you get booed and that's basically that's what they still live by that and here we top rope this and jumping kick here and you suplex that and just to not fit in with what, what was supposed to be going on there, you know? No, and it was... The th- biggest thing I didn't like about Smoky Mountain is working the same people every night for the entire month. Mm-hmm. Like, you do your TV taping, and we did, like, a three-month run with Well Done. So we'd wrestle in all 15 towns against Well Done, do our DQ finish, and then it's like, next month we do all those 15 towns again with our no-DQ match, mm-hmm. and then we do all 15 towns again. For th- it's like, it was like 45 matches in a row with Well Done. I'm like... I'm so bored. <laughs> and that was the old-time territory, though. That's the way the system worked. You know, yeah. It was a learning experience, but it's like, man, to, I need to, to change that. it up. And, um, you know, because you had moved down there completely with your wife, with everything. You had kind of packed up, as did I. But me, I just packed my stuff in my car and go. You actually had, you know, a, not a family. A family. I yeah. Guess, I a had, wife. I, yeah. I brought furniture. I brought right. our cat, my wife, and, and everything. So I had, a you know, a lot more at stake. So I when 
you broke your arm and had you decided to get out. It's like I couldn't get out. I yeah, had no other bookings. Stuck. I've got a lease, right? Um, so I stayed for you know a few more months. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, we 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 did the stuff with Well Done, like you said, and then it was all kind of building to Night of the Legends, where we would work with the Heavenly Bodies, who had gone to the WWE at that point. And I don't think we really. I mean, we were over okay, but we weren't really over. That was the angle that was supposed to break it open for us to 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 get over. I think. Yeah, we did the put Jim Cornette in a cake. The Heavenly Bodies jumped us, beat us up. We did the promo of vowing revenge on this big show. This was the one that was supposed to take us to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you broke your arm the afternoon of the show. Yeah, I, I went to the show, uh, and once again, Ultimo Dragon had convinced me that I could do a shooting star press. And much like years earlier when I was seeing you do you know, a leap from the ring up to the top turnbuckle, if I can't do this, I'll never make it more of a war of myself like you're going to do this and i did it off the diving board a couple times of course got in my head that i was going to do it uh in the ring and i'd actually tried it on another host show and you actually saw it basically landed on my head oh i thought you broke your neck yeah and you ended up just with a small piece of mat little patch of mat burn on your forehead you're like i'm fine i'm like i thought you died just insane right and but still and then practicing it in the knoxville civic center knoxville coliseum by myself no spotter no mat, uh, crash pad. Nothing. Shooting Star Press is uh, its what Kidman does, or uh, uh, I don't even know if anybody does it now. Uh, Evan Bourne was the last one. Evan Bourne was doing Yeah, you'd be looking into the ring. You'd jump out, flip around, kind of do a backflip. It's a diver's move. So I was in the ring trying it, and I went and did it, and this was the time, you know, thank gosh. I didn't, uh, thank God I didn't break my neck. But I landed on my arm uh, under my chest, and I remember getting up and looking at it, and there was a big divot where there shouldn't be. <laughs> it was no, a dent. No pain, but a dent. And you had gotten there, where that I remember it came over to you, and you're like, what are you doing? Are you practicing? Or that didn't look good. Did you see it? Yeah, I was back at the arena, and I saw you, and I saw you land, mm. and it looked like a perfectly safe landing. It's like, you know, you like you'd land. Like I actually did it. I don't recall it that way, <laughs> but you landed like you would if a top rope drop kick. You, you know, I, I, yeah. my recollection, you bailed on the rotation and landed safely. Gotcha. You rolled out of the ring, and I could just tell something was wrong, mm-hmm. just by the way you were acting. So I walked over. It's like, you all right? What's 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 up? And you're like, well, my arm. And you showed me your forearm, and it had a dent on the one side. And you could grab your forearm and push it with your thumb, and the arm would bend in the middle. Yeah, like one of those forearm. weird rubber pencils or something. Yeah. Like. And I'm like, dude, that's messed up. And you're like, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah. I'm like, your arm's not supposed to bend in the middle of the forearm. <laughs> so I think uh, maybe even your wife, Tina, might have even given me a ride over to the hospital. Or yeah, because I wanted you to get it checked. You're like, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah. And so Tina, my wife, asked somebody, where's the nearest hospital, which is just around the corner mm-hmm. practically. So I convinced you or her or whoever to finally, hey, look, she'll take you to the hospital. We won't tell anybody. Um, yeah, we won't tell anybody. We won't tell anybody. Just go. And so they went to the hospital, and me again being chronically early, I've already got my gear on and stuff because Jim Cornette would run around. Hey, we're going to do promos. Everybody get your stuff on. Yeah. I was the only guy that actually listened. <laughs> so Jim sees, oh, you got your stuff on. Where's Chris? Let's do your promos. I'm like, um, Chris isn't really here right now. Where is he? Um, he, he went to the hospital. <laughs> what? I'm like, well, he's going to be fine. He said he's okay. He just he wanted to get it checked out. And Jim in a full, God damn, what the hell is going on? <laughs> that stupid <laughs> idiot, that stupid dummy. That's stupid, yeah. Um, and I think you remember, too, before the... Before you went, you said, Jim, do you mind if I get in the ring and just work on a few things? He's like, yeah, sure. Just don't get hurt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't get hurt. And here um, I am. So my wife ended up coming back and having to break the news to Jim. He's broke his arm. 
Chris says he'll be here. He's still working the match, but he's broke his arm. So she had to then he starts freaking out. God damn it. <laughs> but true to your word, you came back. Well, they, they said that I had broken my arm and, and we had built up this angle really well. They remember they attacked us in a parking lot with, uh, you know, masks on. And it was one of the match. <laughs> the masks were on because it was well done. That's they, right. They couldn't get the heavenly bodies. <laughs> they were on the road still. So they had well done wearing <laughs> masks and bodysuits claiming to be the heavenly bodies. That's right. And, and the heavenly bodies were in the WWE and this was their big return for this big night of uh, uh, Night of the Legends, which was sold out. I remember Cornette saying, if it doesn't sell out, I'll go in the ring naked and sing back in black. Back in black. So please sell out. It sold out. Huge card in our match was one of the big ones and it was a springboard for us to go to the next level because we were going to beat mm -hmm. Heavenly Bodies. So I was in the hospital. You got a broken arm. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, of course, all I'm thinking about is how I'm going to do this match. And he's like, you need a surgery. We'll schedule it for today. I was like, well, uh, I got to go do this uh, appearance at a wrestling show. He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, I got to go like like wave at the crowd and then, and, and, you know, sit in the front row as a dignitary. And he's like, well, what are you? He just kind of asked me like if I was a big star and I said, well, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of like the, the show's built around me. So I have to be there. Well, then why aren't you wrestling? Well, because we're setting up for the next month, just lying, like just get me out of this hospital and finally like, okay, but don't do anything physical. You'll be back tomorrow at 7am. So I go back to the arena and then now we're going to have the match still. With the heavenly bodies. Now, did you tell uh, Tom Pritchard and, and Jimmy Del Rey that I'd broken my arm? I don't remember who told them, but they knew. They but, knew. Yeah, they they knew ahead of time. So because, tell me about the like like obviously to me, I'm like I'm doing this no matter what I'm doing this. What were your conversations like with those uh, guys? Well, the biggest thing I remember is you. We, we were going to pinch the the rockers. Orient Express spot from like Royal Rumble 1990. <laughs> there was this spot with uh, you know the dosi -si do. The, they go to belly to back as we land on our feet. We drop kick them. They go to the floor double dives. Right. And you're like, I'm still doing that spot. And I'm like, dude, you can't do a dive off the top rope. You got a broken arm. You're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm like, if you land on it, we're gonna have bones sticking out of the skin. We can't do this. So I talked you out of that. Mm -hmm. We just did the rocket launch where I did the dive. Mm -hmm. But I remember, one handed rocket launcher. Yeah. But I, I remember them being totally cool with, oh, we'll just take care of him. Don't worry. We won't touch his arm. Won't be a problem. And true to their word, they took care how, of him. How amazing is that to think about that? Wrestling a match against somebody with a broken arm or somebody wrestling a match with a broken and arm. Two guys you never met before that day. Yeah. You're right. I mean, that would never happen. And nowadays, there's no way. Yeah, you had surgery scheduled. Yeah, like a broken arm. Like, you know, what kind of lawsuit I could have, uh, you know, sent out. But they or got whatever. the heat on you. You worked they the majority did. of the match. And we actually had that match is actually a pretty good match. Yeah. You know, I remember uh, I had to get color. And I think I'd taken some aspirin. And I think I was kind of in shock and broken arm. Blood pressure was probably through the roof. Through the roof. And you could tell because it was just a little weak cut. But, man, that thing bled like, like I always, it's like Carrie, the movie Carrie, when the bucket of blood gets poured over. The only head. time I've seen more was uh, Eddie versus JBL. That's right. And Eddie, Eddie actually, was hospitalized. And he hit, he hit an artery. Yeah. I only had a little wee two-millimeter cut. And I remember on TV, you can see that. You're like, you can, it's like Bob Caldwell and Jim Ross are talking about it. And you come over as I'm getting choked on the ropes. Like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's just Aspen, brother. And remember, we watched that five or six times to figure out what did I say? Yeah, I watched it at my place. You were at the, uh, the, uh, the, the homeless shelter. In, Smoky in, Mountain homeless shelter. In, yeah. in Morristown. And I watched it. And I immediately knew what you said because I remembered. Oh, okay, moment, yeah. I was like, you all right? And you're like, it's just aspirin, brother. <laughs> so I had called you. It's like, oh, man, did you see? You could tell what you were saying. And you're like, oh, man, we just watched it back like five times trying to figure out what yeah, I that's said. That's what it was, yeah. 
And so we had the match. We ended up winning. I mean, it was a big deal, the fact that the, the – because remember Cornette said that I had broken my arm in a motorcycle accident. Yes. Because that's what thrill seekers do. But, you know, covered in blood, get the big victory, and then there's that famous picture. It's in my book of you kind of carrying me out, and I'm just – just covered. covered, covered, covered. And I could never figure out why Cornette didn't want to take footage of that afterwards. You were hot. Really? really? Yeah, because you, you... And I, again, I know he had, we were behind on our money. I think he had decided he couldn't afford yeah. us at that point. So I, think I was he going was, to Japan back and I forth. I think he was already trying to come up with a reason to renegotiate our price, redo with the angle and so forth. Because we got in the back and you're like, Where's the cameras? I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, where's the post-match promo? Look at me. Yeah. And they didn't do one. Mm-hmm. And you were like, this is insane. Why are they not shooting footage of me backstage? Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And I remember I st- we still had to go up and sell gimmicks after the match. <laughs> of course. And I had surgery scheduled the next day at like 7 a.m., messed up, screwed up. And at the Burt Merch table, two of the hottest girls I've ever seen that looked like the Daisy Duke in 1978 came and invited me to go to Cotton Eye Joe's, the big club in Knoxville. Come with us, Cotton Eye Joe's. We'll party and hang out. And I was like, finally, I meet some hot girls, and I can't go because i got to go get surgery. And they're like, okay, see you later. I was like, no. So we went to Shoney's to eat instead. (laughs) Oh, that's right. And then stayed over at your house and went and got the surgery. And the next night was a big show in Johnson City. Fire on the Mountain, yeah. And I was convinced that I was going to work that show too after surgery. Yeah, you were going to – Either be in my corner, worst case scenario, you probably were going to work. And this is something that was crazy. They said it was day surgery. You'd be in for a couple hours and you could get out. So I stayed. And as soon as you got out after surgery, we'd drive to Johnson City, Tennessee. And so you go in and you have your surgery. And then the doctor comes in. He's like, well, you need to convince your friend to stay. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, well, there's complications with surgery sometimes. If in a few hours, his hand could start pulling into a claw, the muscles will tighten up. And if it does, we have to go back in and fix it. If not, his hand will be like this permanently. Wow. You need to convince him to stay. I'm like, shouldn't you have had this conversation before he had the surgery? He's like, well, he he doesn't want to stay. You have to go talk to him. So they drag me into the recovery room. (laughs) And you're still stoned out of your tree from anesthetic. So you're like, what do you think, Lance? And I'm like... Why is this my call whether you stay in the hospital, whether you risk getting... Why is this even a discussion, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, well, if I convince Chris to, let's screw this, let's just go to the show, and then his hand curls up and he becomes a permanent claw, his career's over. I'm yeah. like, well, maybe you should... St- okay, whatever you think, man. And I'm like, this is messed up. Yeah. So at that point, I had to leave and go to the show by myself and leave you in the hospital to you know rack up additional medical bills. <laughs> That was the last match I ever had in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Was uh, was that one? And uh, you did corner me a couple of the nights. You went to a couple corner things. Yeah, and you feel useless because you know I got the broken arm. And there's nothing worse than that. But that was the last uh, the last time, maybe the last time we ever tagged. I'm not sure if we ever tagged. We since tagged then. again in Japan. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and we, I think we tagged in WWE too. We did. So we, yeah. we worked a few times. Worked a few times in Japan, and then, like you said, I left Smoky Mountain, moved on. You stayed for a bit, then you moved on. Kind of never really crossed paths again. Uh, you know, you were in WCW, ECW. The, the last thing I remember about us was the ECW one night stand match that we had. That we laugh about it because people, and I'm not going to demean it, but people say this is the best match, match of the night, great match. And I've never watched it back because I'm mad that we only got like eight minutes. Yeah, I've watched it back. Okay, but yeah, there's the oh, it was just a classic. It was so great, and um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, but yeah, it was like seven minutes. Yeah. And there was, you know, we did a couple things that were cool. And it was a great night. The crowd was amazing. We were the opener, which was awesome. 
And I think both of us were smart enough that it's like we knew what the crowd wanted. We played to that. Mm-hmm. You gave them ECW, Chris Jericho. You didn't give them WWE. Yeah, it was like Chris a time Jericho. machine. Yeah. Thing, yeah. And so it's like it was so much fun, but mm-hmm. it's like I could probably list 100 matches I've done that I like better <laughs> yeah. just because it was it was seven, I don't know, was, seven, eight I minutes. Think it was seven and a half. And actually, I, don't, I think I told you this, but Tommy called me because he was booking that show and said, okay, we want you to work on this. You know, Vince wants you to work on it. I said, okay. We're thinking either Stevie Richards or, or uh, Mikey Whipwreck. I'm like, no, no way. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, dude, come on, man. It's, that's, not, that's not a marquee match. And he said, well, you had to come in. I said, well, what about Lance? He used to work there. Well, you think, well, let me check. And I guess Vince signed off on that one. And thank God he did because so if it wasn't for that match. I wasn't going to be on the show. Oh, there you go. Because okay. Paul came to me. I was in EC, uh, OVW. And he's like, oh, we're doing the show. And, you know, we don't really have a match that makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. I was just going to do the run-in at the, the end. He says, you weren't going to have a match at all. And because they were, well, who could you work with? And I'm like, well, if it doesn't make sense, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be on the match show just to have a match that makes no sense. Right. And then he pitched the idea with you. I'm like, for my career, it makes sense from a storytelling standpoint. From ECW, it doesn't make any sense. But it's like we were never there together. We were never in ECW together. So there's no reason for it. But if you look at our career history, mm-hmm. there's certainly a reason for it. And... I still, in the back of my head, want my last match to be with you, so it's oh, first and last. Because that, at, the, at one point, was your last my, match. Yeah, because yeah. I had retired, was teaching an OVW, so it's like, when he pitched that, I'm like, well, if I actually leave that as my last match, I can bookend my career with the Chris Jericho match. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I was only 35 at the time, <laughs> and it's like, trying to not work again after that was just too difficult, so right. I ended up eventually getting talked out of it. Um, so we have to have one more. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so now, you, you know, that was your last match for a while, but now you wrestle, you know, you have the school, you do your classes three times a year, yep. uh, and you still work occasional matches. I'll see your name from time to time. How do you decide if you want to work? Um, a lot of times if it's just something that I think will be really fun with somebody that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, the, what broke me from the, the last match with Chris Jericho was unintentional. Um, Ring of Honor was bugging me to work with Daniel Bryan. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, but I wasn't going to break my last match. <laughs> and then a group in England contacted me about, hey, would you come over and work a couple shows for us? And Tina, Tina, my wife, had always wanted to go to Europe, and I'm notoriously cheap. So I just sort of out of the cuff of my head, I was like, I want to do the Bryan Danielson match. It's like, I'm going to ask for a ridiculous amount of money. Mm-hmm. Like, not ridiculous, but, you know, this is, and if they say yes... Then I'll say, okay, but you have to fly both me and my wife over a week early. We're going to do a vacation in England. Figuring they're going to say no. Well, they said yes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm taking a booking then. I've got a week vacation in Europe with my wife now. <laughs> so once I said yes to that, I'm like, well, I broke my last match with Chris. I'll call Ring of Honor back. I'll do the Brian Danielson match. And at that point, now I just pick and choose. How many do you do? Uh... I probably average two or three a year. Oh, okay. So that, that, uh, that rare... Yeah, that rare. It's like Jerry Lynn called. I'm doing my retirement tour. Would you do one last gotcha. match with me? I'm like, okay. Um, Danny Collins, who I worked with in Europe, he called me. I'm doing my last match in Germany. I'd really like it to be with you. Would you do it? I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Dreamer does the House of Hardcore shows. Um, I've turned him down a couple times, but, you know, there was the, hey, you know, would you want to do a tag match against me and Terry Funk? I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not turning down working with Terry Funk. You know, yeah, man. Well, like you said, I mean, that's a pretty intriguing thing, and I'm always into that sort of uh, – uh, 
you know, bookends and cool things and things that no one's ever done before. Let's let's make a deal. Let's have our last match against each other. <laughs> All right. Whenever it may be, I don't know when, but when it's time and we'll stick to it, let's do w- it. Worst case scenario, we rent out the Bonoka Moose Hall ourselves. That would be even better. At least we could sell that place out. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Dude, it's been great talking to you, man. It's it's been uh it's always a blast. It's something we text each other quite a bit. But when you actually get a time to sit down and chat, it's always some great stories and some great memories and some great times. And once again, congratulations, Storm Wrestling Academy. You guys know where to find it. You guys are all smart. you got Google. Look yes. it up. If you want to train for wrestling, this is the guy. So I tell everyone. Yeah, stormwrestling.com. Uh, we'll take you to my website. You can look into the classes. Do book up early. Plan ahead. Yeah. Um, because I limit the class size so that you get enough one-on-one time. I'm in the ring with you every day. I have a full match with all the students that stay till the end, so you actually get to wrestle a full match with Lance Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do lots of matches in front in front of nobody. Um, <laughs> you can also follow me on Twitter at Lance Storm, and uh, that's what all I have to plug. So, well, let me ask you one last question then. What is your uh, what's your favorite match if you had to choose one? You know, I was going to ask. Yeah, that. Um, I hate doing this, but probably the one I would pick. I wrestled Terry Funk in his hometown of Amarillo, Texas. In WCW in 2000. So I was the U.S. slash Canadian heavyweight champion wrestling Terry Funk in his hometown. He did all the local press, so it was sold out, you know, jammed to the rafters, standing room only. And I'd always, the territory, loved, brother. Yeah, I always loved Terry Funk and respect him like crazy. And it was my first time ever getting to wrestle him. Mm-hmm. And the crowd was just insanely hot. It was so much fun. And they even let it, we switched the title. Um, I think it was to appease him. It's like, well, he's going to have to job to Lance once, so we'll put him over. <laughs> and they asked him, would you mind if we did this? And we're both like, that'd be awesome. And when he pinned me, the place went insane. It was just so much great, fun. man. How about the favorite match that you and I have ever had or been involved in? Ooh, wow. Um, there's there so many in the early days of our career, right? Yeah. there was. I really liked the, the first one we did in Japan together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also another one that I remember being cool. It was in Corican Hall. I believe it was the last night of the one tour before we did the junior heavyweight tag tournament. Right. And it was like all the guys that were in the tournament, they had the numbers in a hat and we draw the names out to see who you would fight. Yeah. And they, of course, you know, pick the number one, you know, whose name is it? And it was going to be you and I against each other. And I remember when whoever pulled the name first, it was like, a Oh, from the crowd that it was going to be you and I against each other again. Oh, cool. I don't remember that one. Uh, I, I remember it really well. I've got, I've got the Japanese magazine picture. I think you wore the white tights with the pink triangles with oh, the yeah, black yeah, yeah, tassels. Yeah. The, the one that remember, I remember was the one that your first tour of Japan, it might have even been your first match in Japan. It was the last night of the tour. Last night of the tour. And it was your first tour with WR. Once again, uh, helped you get in, gave your name because they were looking for you. Yeah. And that was the night when uh, I remember the finish was that you went over and you were so surprised. I just assumed that you were the established guy. I'd be doing the job. And I was like, you know, back then still was like, okay, well, I guess. But I was thinking when we did it, it was like this is the way it should go. And I was real proud of that because I was able to, you know, help spotlight you as like here's the new guy in town that can kick ass. Like, you know, that that is the way it worked. It was smart on Tenru's part. It was. Yeah, because I remember at the time I think you were a little bit annoyed because you had to pay your dues and earn your stripes. Right. You'd been there for, I don't know, half a dozen tours a year, whatever it was. Yeah. And this is my first time in, and I didn't have to pay those dues. I just got the win. But it was smart because they needed the junior heavyweight to fit in. Of course. And you... And also, that, that's, the, 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 that, that's the secret of the business, and I still didn't really know that. And of course, you should have went over, and of course, that's the way the finish was, and it was a great match. And I still remember, I think we did some kind of a roll-up where maybe you went for a German suplex, and I rolled through, and I kind of got crunched, and I had like a big nose... 
you went for the German, and, yeah, and I did the inside yeah, yeah, cradle. Yeah. And with the roll through, if you don't tuck your head to the side, yeah. <laughs> which I just did on the microphone, unfortunately, oh. you you can, yeah. And I ended yeah. up sitting right on your nose. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember it was an Oto War gym, I think, and yep. it was a really good match. And uh, hey, man, I'll put you over anytime. <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> it. All right, thanks, dude. All right, thanks to Lance Storm. What a great, great uh, interview with my oldest friend in the business. I kn- we talked about the Storm Wrestling Academy. If you're really interested in becoming a pro wrestler, and if you're serious about it, you can tell by Lance, he's not messing around. He's one of the greatest trainers uh, that ever lived, in my opinion, that I've seen so many great students come out of there. I've watched him train. I work out with him exclusively when I'm ready to come back to the WWE. He is my recommendation. People say all the time, how do you get into the wrestling business? I'll tell you how to get in the wrestling business. You go see Lance Storm. You go to Storm stormwrestling.com he'll give you all the information on there uh, if you're really serious he is the guy to go to see and don't forget if you live in Los Angeles then you gotta go see The Resurrection of Jake the Snake the movie all about Jake the Snake's redemption thanks to Diamond Dallas Page there's a special screening of The Resurrection of Jake the Snake at the Arclight Theater on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles on Sunday March 8th at 8pm still a few tickets available and this is not a, a, a shill they've actually moved from the small theater to the bigger theater it's an incredible movie you have to see how diamond dallas page and ddp yoga literally saved jake the snake's life and scott hall too it's all in the movie it's a great documentary if you live in the la area go to the arc light sunday march 8th at 8 p.m we talked all about this when jake and ddp were on talk as jericho now you can see it with your own two eyes if you live in la get your tickets to see the documentary okay and if you live in europe in the uk come see the Cinderblock party world tour 2000 2015 Fozzie, Dirty Youth. It starts March 4th in Belfast, 5 Cork, 6 Dublin, 7 Nottingham, 8 Wolverhampton, 9 Manchester, 10 Glasgow, 11 London, 12 Bristol, 13 Exeter, 14 Southampton, 15 Brighton. That's 12 shows in a row. I'm going to be going nuts on this tour. We just got all the tickets, uh, updated ticket numbers. They are going to be great. There's going to be some sellouts. There's going to be some crazy crowds. We're heading over to France and Paris on the 17th, 18 in Switzerland and Pertelne, 19 Munich, 20 Mannheim, 21st Bohem. Go to FozzyRock.com for all show information and all information on the greatest VIP package experience you will ever, ever have. Come hang out with me. Come hang out with Fozzy. We want to rock with you. We will see you next week. I can't believe it's almost here. Thanks to all you guys for joining me. Thanks for being here. Uh, Amazon links. Don't forget, easiest way to support the show. So I can be doing this for you for free for twice a week. You go to PodcastOne.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page, and you'll see all three of the Amazon links, UK, USA, Canada, A, Amazon. Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show. Thanks for your help. Thanks for your support. And thanks for being you. All right? So that's it. Another great edition of Talk is Jericho. We will see you next week. And until then, in the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. Remember, who loves you, baby? I do. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 